Welcome to Outdoors, I'm Brian, and we have Mel Cronin. She's a founding member of the Pedal Project and Director of Development with Swimba. Mel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, thank you for having me. And, you know, just to throw things off a little bit, uh, <laughs> yeah, you wanted a, a preface on what questions I was gonna ask. I had a nasty wipeout this weekend. How much of a part of mountain biking is wrecking? <laughs> well, um, I guess you have to go through it. It's generally part of the learning curve and it definitely keeps us humble. Um, <laughs> I, you know, there used to be a joke. That's why road bikers aren't as humble as mountain bikers is that they don't <laughs> get spanked as often. Um, but I would say with a lot of the innovations in bikes, and all the things available to people, all the resources to learn to be better bikers, I think wrecking is becoming less of an integral part of learning. Well, and I'm kicking myself because this was a totally avoidable, if I would have not forgotten to pack my elbow pads, it would have been a little bruise and now it's 11 stitches, you know. So the, the consequences of wrecking a mountain bike can be pretty high, but you know, there are definitely precautions we can do to to minimize the impact, literally. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So why don't you give us a little bit of background on the pedal project? You, just a little bit ago, we were talking about um, kind of the organic foundation of some of these women ride groups and how did this all come together into fruition of what is now the pedal project? Um, well, back in 2013, 14, I moved back to Bozeman from Big Sky and um, I actually went to a Bikram yoga class that ended with me vomiting <laughs> and a couple of my old friends from when I lived in Bozeman during college said, okay, well, maybe Bikram yoga is not for you. We have a group of women that we ride with come ride with us and let's um, rebuild our friendship. And so every Wednesday evening, we just had it on our calendars that we'd ride together. And concurrently, there was a group of women who were riding every Monday night on the roads. Um, and in about 2014, we combined those two groups and we started out with about 23 people who followed the little Facebook page that we started. Um, and it has grown, I was just looking at it today and there's 1600 women that follow the Bozeman Pedal Project um, page on Facebook. And we kind of just keep it that way. We do have a website, but it's pretty organic. It's um, not that any one person organizes a ride or anything like that. Well, everybody's welcome to do that. And it's just a day of the week that people can carve out of their busy schedules and say, this is where I'm going to go ride and connect with other people. And have you seen a big uptick in the last year with COVID and everything going on in the popularity of mountain biking? Yes. Um, last year was pretty big. Um, like, I would say average like 25 women would come and they, they were just great. Um, as the summer progressed, it got to be more. 
And I think, you know, the early, like when kids first get out of school and the trails are just opening up, a lot of people are sort of busy. And then they, they start saying, I need, I need this for my sanity. And they really start coming together. What do you think appeals to women joining a group rather than just going out and riding on their own? What sort of things draw them to that? Um, I think like with the pedal project, it's multifaceted. Um, you have women tacitly mentoring each other. Some of the women that come on the rides are amazingly accomplished. Others are, you know, getting into the sport and there's just this really nice um, flow of information and tips. And the other thing is I've noticed everybody's so interesting that comes. It's like this huge spectrum of people that maybe wouldn't necessarily meet each other ordinarily. We have college professors, lawyers, stay-at-home moms, um, bike coaches, uh, the whole spectrum. And so they can really form really solid relationships and build confidence in that environment. I think that's a big draw. So I, I coach for NICA and my two uh, teenage daughters are, they'll still be their third year. And Bozeman, at least of last year, had the highest per capita uh, female participation in the entire country. Um, what makes Bozeman such a unique place and supportive community for uh, women cyclists? Wow, that's a, I've really pondered that question myself before. Um, so being on the board of Swimba, four of our 10 board, women, uh, board members are women, which I think is unusual. And I'm, I often wonder if it's because we have such a beautiful outdoor opportunity um, year round and people move here for that or they're brought up, you know, people that have lived here all their lives are brought up. And so there is that foundation of empowering women um, already in place, enculturated in the Bozeman scene. Um, but it is, it is different than other parts of the country, thankfully. It's just amazing to have so many women involved in our outdoor and trail world. In the um, so the pedal project rides there. What well, there's a, a a road ride every week and a trail ride. Where where you decide how far to go, where to go, depending on the seasons. Well, um, starting early season, we do a lot of town trails, um, just because those are the ones that are thought out and um, damage won't happen to them. Mm -hmm. um, we try to mix it up between um, like a physical difficulty and technical difficulty of trails. Um, some days we, Wednesdays, we'll do more intermediate advanced trails and others will kind of gear it more towards a, a beginner group. Um, with the road rides, Haley, who you um, spoke with for the bike kitchen, She's just a fantastic person. She does 90% of our road ride leads, um, especially this year because um, 
the people that were confident enough to organize or lead rides, we had quite a little baby boom. <laughs> and so um, there is a bunch of newborn or pregnant ladies now. And so we're trying to pass the torch and cultivate more, but a lot of it's just mixing it up and trying to go to trails where there's not a huge impact as far as traffic of other users. And um, also they're dry and they're in good shape. And also to introduce the group to trails they might not feel confident riding alone. Do you have a chariot ride for moms where they can hold their kids behind them? <laughs> Oh my gosh. No, but we, we do a huckleberry ride in August. Um, a few of us are huckleberry fans and actually that usually ends up being one of our bigger rides. Everybody brings a little bucket and we'll go to a secret spot and <laughs> pick huckleberries and chat. Uh, we do a doggy ride some years where people are welcome to bring their dogs and we'll go to a dog friendly trail. Um, usually that's kind of going out the North Bridgers there by the Alpine cabin um, because there's a lot of creek crossings for the dogs to drink. And there's a pond at the Bridger Bowl parking lot for the dogs to swim in and cool off. Um, we also do different, um, sometimes someone really talented like Lisa Curry will offer to do a cycle cross class for an afternoon and we'll do that instead or Heidi McCoots will offer to do some technical skills for an afternoon or so we mix it up and yeah. <laughs> Where can people go to learn more about the pedal project? Um, right now it's mostly Facebook based because it's just so grassroots and organic. Um, we do at bozemanpedalproject.com have a website, um, which is we're transferring the server and in the process of trying to update it. So we, we realize that a lot of people are um, not into social media anymore. Hmm. So trying to get our feet under ourselves under that one. Nice. Um, all right, let's talk about Swimba for a little bit. Um, you're the director of development. Can you explain to us what that role means? <laughs> well, um, because we were a relatively new organization that pretty much started in 2017 and volunteer dominated, it meant jack of all trades. <laughs> but um, I got into writing grants and hosting with the organization fundraising events like um oh the map events i think i met you initially at one of the um ales for trails events at map um and just reaching out to people and trying to educate them on what we're up to um and really exciting fun thing was learning to write federal grants to help implement Copper City. Um, I wrote the grants for that project and um, where the lion's share of the funding came from. So that was really exciting and fun learning about that and doing that and administrating them. I'm actually, I'm talking to Tim this evening. So be interesting to see <laughs> his perspective on, on that whole project. Uh, I mean, what, what a unique opportunity for mountain biking, you know, for almost year round, you know, in this region. How did, how did that um, 
how did that project kind of come into fruition with, with Swimba and all the participants? Well, you know, you said you were interviewing Tam Hawk. He is really um, the visionary that was behind that project. And he had spent a lot of time looking at different public land parcels with um, the goal of trying to put in a trail system. Um, and as you know, with Bozeman and the Gallatin Valley growing so quickly and people coming here specifically for our outdoor opportunities, more trails are super important. And I think Tim had the vision to see that. But um, so he worked with the BLM um, and brought Swimba on board because the BLM said, look, Tim, you can't do this by yourself. You have to have an organization. And we were just forming at that point. And um, it was a little scary, to be honest with you, because, you know, basically we had a 10 member board member, a 10 member board that um, was like, okay, what now? And then here you go. Here's a major trail project. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. So we all had to learn and go with it and just um, form relationships and everything. And Tim started out um, project managing and planning the trails. And what I think he realized was that was so much work mm -hmm. and he also had to have a day job. Mm -hmm. And um, so there was a, a transfer of responsibilities. Um, so we spread it out a little bit more. And I got on to writing the Recreation Trail Program grants, which are the federal grants, and adminning them. And because of the administration part of that had to become really involved so I knew exactly what was going on. So I could, being a small organization, we couldn't just wait until the end and get reimbursements at the end. I mean, we had like $25,000 in the bank. We had to get reimbursements from the grant every $10,000 we spent, <laughs> you know, because we, we were young and, and new. And so that meant that um, a lot of our board really worked closely and Tim became, you know, part of a team in that effort. So, and it was great. It was a really good team and a really amazing, incredible project. And how were the volunteers coordinated for that, for some help with the trail work? Um, we have, we all took responsibilities on the board. And so right now our trails um, person is Kyle Johnson. And we have just recently last year um, hired a trail steward slash manager, Patrick um, Rooney. And they both have emails uh, through swimba.org, um, southwestmontanamba.org with their first names. And they organize everything. They work with the BLM and the Forest Service for scheduling times and showing up with the tools. Patrick's out there Tuesday through Saturday, working full time this year, clearing trails, making drains, I think he's got 170 some hours into leverage this year alone. 
That's why Leverage is writing so it's amazing. It's really good. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Patrick and Kyle are phenomenal. They're they're powered by jet fuel. I'm convinced they're incredible. So. Well, I think it really makes a difference too. You know, I was just up there riding, testing out my bike parts, and ran into Ian Jones at the top. <laughs> so mm -hmm. we were chatting up the whole way. But man, uh, just seeing like from year to year the um, just the quality of the trail maintenance and improvements is pretty phenomenal. Um, so I was talking with Bob Allen about like in 2008, 2009, there was a lot of pressure to increase wilderness areas and pressure to remove mountain bike trails. Mm -hmm. So he, and of course, I can't remember the name of the organization. It was like the Montana um, Mountain Biking Association. Yeah, the Montana Mountain Bike Alliance. Yeah. Mo Montana Mountain Bike Alliance. Yes. Yes. Um, so they kind of, you know, were in the conversations with a lot of the, the landholders at the time to be an advocate for mountain biking and mountain biking trails. Um, so why do you think organizations like Swimba are important to maintain um, the access and the, the stewardship for these user groups? Um, if you think of organizations like a hub of a wheel and you have all these spokes going out it kind of holds everything together and you have a centralized um, organization that can gather information and try and work with all the different groups at the end of the spokes to kind of hold it together and create a really positive culture and understanding for our land uses on public lands, um, for different groups like BYC, NICA, Montana Mountain Bike Alliance, GVLT, when you have these groups that feel like they're partners, it really solidifies a community in really positive ways. And, um, oh my gosh, I just spaced out the question I was going to answer. But they normally type these out, right? <laughs> but my arm's not working. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the opportunities and challenges that you see in the next couple of years for, for mountain biking in this region. Yeah, um, well, I hope that as far as opportunities, that as a community, we can really come together and start looking and thinking big in the sense that human beings in general underestimate um, what is needed. And I think if we can look 10 years ahead to the pressures that are gonna be on our local trail systems and our outdoor spaces and come up with viable solutions to help our community have access without um, resource damage or um, interpersonal pressures, those kind of things. So I think there's a lot of opportunities out there, a lot of potential projects, and we just really have to think big. And sometimes those challenges are um, that getting people to want to think mm -hmm. in that sense. And, and when I say big, I don't mean like a skyscraper. I mean instead of saying, oh, we're going to try for five miles of trail on side country 
stuff, we're going to try for 20 miles of trail inside country. And that might involve um, 15 landowners and three public land managers. And we have to coordinate with them. And we have some really good templates in other communities like Palisades, Colorado just put in the Palisade plunge. And I think they had to work with something like 52 private landowners and the BLM and some state to make that dream, that 42 mile trail happen, but they did it. And we're gonna have to start thinking like that and thinking outside the box for these opportunities because we have an amazing group of kids that are gonna turn into young adults with the BYC and the NICA stuff. And then we just have people that are coming here and going, oh my gosh, this is the last best place. It is so beautiful and it's so awesome. And I want to be part of that outdoor place. Yeah, I think it's funny. My sister actually lives right outside of Palisade and has been talking about that trail. It sounds pretty mm -hmm. incredible. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess I'm encouraged, you know, I was speaking with uh, GBLT and uh, the Bridger Community Organization. They, they have some really big, broad vision of connecting these, you know, Main Street to Mountain uh, trail systems and being looking forward into the future. So not just for recreation, but also for um, transportation, you know, bi bicycle, e-bikes, you know, more transportation, more options like that, just to make it a more fun, livable community, you know, both these places. Right, well, and, and into that goes connectivity for the animals. I mean, animals use trails too. It might not be during the day, Right. While we're there. <laughs> Hopefully not in some of them. <laughs> yeah, there's that that level of connectivity um, for both humans. And, um, you know, and I've been fortunate to be involved in Gallatin Forest Partners um, for the last four years of forest planning and just learning about all those kind of components and an understanding that human beings are part of the system and mm. we need to think and be thoughtful and flexible to make, make this work. Yeah, and, you know, thinking about what kind of Montana do we want to leave, you know, our kids and grandchildren, um, is it one that's just checkerboard cut up into pieces like the crazies where you can't get in most places or is it one where there are multiple access points, less you know congestion at trailheads, more trail systems. Um, a lot of the folks I've talked to, like at, at Crosscut and other places, are thinking about well, how do we connect more of these systems so it isn't just one bottleneck area, you know, and and make it more more accessible but less of a you know a, less of those problem areas, you know, mm -hmm. so you can connect more of these places. Um, and then if you connect that to these communities like, you know, Big Sky and, and Bozeman, uh, then you have a lot more rideable communities, which seems way more enjoyable just from, you know, day-to-day -day life, just for transportation or, or recreation to kind of become blended, right? So, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so, so how, do you, how do you kind of uh, develop that big, big vision, kind of seeing what could happen if, it, if that doesn't happen? Um, well, I think, you know, there is some push for that triangle 
um, trail system, which is more commuter based. But I do think partnering with organizations like um, right after our interview, I'm headed out to um, a meeting for, um, we kind of touched on ride kind. Um, so the state, at the state level, the state is trying to pick up outside kind. And part of that is thinking with these other groups about trail etiquette, but also partnering, like forging these relationships. And if we can all think strategically future-wise together and understand each other's projects and our dreams and um, work with each other, I think that's a really good start to making that connectivity happen in a smart way. Yeah, talking, to, I think it was David Tucker's mentioning that, you know, the Forest Service right now, so much of their budget goes into firefighting. And so organizations like SWIMBA have to really kind of bridge that gap where they didn't in the past possibly as much for their recreation point. So it really becomes more reliant on more of these community organizations to be the voice of the people, <laughs> to make sure that our public lands stay public and to make sure that we have, you know, good stewardship, environmental stewardship for human health and for the entire health of the ecosystems. Right. Well, and, and just imagine, you know, like that public lands and public hands um, concept that Forest Service or the BLM can hardly go advocate for themselves on that mm -hmm. point. But when citizens can advocate for that and, you know, motivate other citizens for that, we develop that culture of how important that is for us as, as a nation to have those, that asset. Hmm, absolutely. Uh, what is the saying about the national parks is America, America's greatest idea. <laughs> yeah. Public lands are really, I don't think we should take them for granted. You know, um, I was living in Washington for 20 years and um, there's just way more people. <laughs> so there's much more uh, passes and this and that for everything you got to do, but there are different systems you kind of have to come up with as population increases and use increases, that, that sort of thing, to make sure these places stay accessible. Right. Well, and currently anybody can go for a hike, regardless of their socioeconomic status. Mm -hmm. and, you know, and some of the projects with Swimba that we're working on and that we try and wrap Bozeman Pedal Projects awareness into, as well, are like the park assets around town. Um, mm -hmm. This summer, we're working really hard on the dirt jumps at Westlake. Nice. Um, and we'll do a volunteer night with Bozeman Pedal Project over there. Um, and then in the past, we've worked with the um, county on the pump track. We're um, working with uh, the SCO and some private donors in Big Sky for a pump track up there. And that is just been a hugely popular project and it's just super exciting to see that go. And we're hoping to um, get that going here this year, next year in Bozeman as well as a more permanent park asset. But those are, those are kind of like the gateways for kids of all socioeconomic levels to get into cycling and to do a healthy activity. Um, when I've written grants for our pump track here in town, it's like if you look at the neighborhoods and how they're 
um, composed. We have a lot of those county inholdings around that county park. And that's, you know, a lot of those trailer carts and um, uh, the lower income housing. And a lot of those kids head home after school through that, that regional park um, to maybe an empty house. So they can make a pit stop there and, you know, ride their bike around on the pump track. And we're hoping to expand that and have more features so that there is something on the way home to entertain those kids. Hmm. Um, so that's that's sort of an exciting thing and it's just yeah. all these different moving parts yeah and, and it's neat to have those kind of a, little hubs like they're popping up all over the place it's kind of hard to keep track of there's so many of them mm -hmm. and it's neat to see them also get connected with like gblt trails in new communities that's the sort of thing right and, you know and so and i guess kind of the point i was making is public lands are both large and small we have you know our federal our state and county and and city and all across the board, they're an asset to anybody. And in general, they're open to anybody. There, there isn't the necessarily economic barriers um, there are to other sports to get on a trail. And if you're a pedestrian, um, there are obviously economic barriers um, when you add a bike to that equation and that's where organizations like the bike kitchen and partnering with them come in is to like expand that and create more opportunity yeah that's that's really neat to be able to see that so give everybody a chance to get get out there and ride and you know also learn more about their bike <laughs> which is important for everybody mm -hmm. um so where can people go to learn more about swimba and the activities and programs that are coming up um, the best place is probably our website, um, which is Southwest Montana, M is in Mary, B is in boy, A is in Alexander.org. Um, it's a pretty comprehensive website. Um, there is a lot of communication and interaction that happens on our social media. Um, Instagram is uh, SW Montana. MBA, um, and then the Facebook page. Um, we have a huge amount of interaction on there, which I think is fantastic because it's super accessible. David Tucker does all of that for us, and he's an amazing photographer, amazingly insightful person. So there's those are some of the routes. Yeah, and, and I've noticed on the Instagram, it's also sometimes a great way to learn about what can what trail conditions are like if Copper City is super muddy and stuff, they let you know and like <laughs> hold out for a day or two. So that's pretty uh, helpful. Oh my goodness. I have had, so like I'll, I'll be out on the trails. We always joke because um, the guys on the board go, everybody knows who Mel is. And I said, well, there's a lot of 30 year old guys out there and there's only one Mel, <laughs> you know, like being uh, like maybe on the, like the more of the mom, mm -hmm. um, uh, in their minds, I'm the mom. <laughs> but I get so many positive comments about that. That's like one of the best things that I think we've picked up and started doing in the last year or two are the trail condition reports because mm -hmm. people just love it. Yeah, it's really helpful. So what are you most excited about this uh, upcoming bike season? Well, for me personally, I, I'm always excited about the Bozeman Pedal Project rides with all the ladies. 
um, just connecting, especially after COVID. It was a huge lifesaver last year. Um, as far as like swim activities, my most favorite thing is we do a lion head weekend mm. with Corey Biggers, where we go in and we clear 80 miles of trail in one day. We have six Sawyers and it's a Herculean effort. And then I get to make everybody taco bar. I do carne asada, world famous carne asada. Yes. Um, and, um, Map Brewing in the past has supplied the Thirsty Sawyers and trail volunteers with beer. And we do a camp out. Boy, I just, I just look forward to riding. I just love mountain biking so much. And it's just getting out there and taking it in. So just in general, I, I hope we have a really good season. Um, and I love doing my epic rides. I like the long ride. Long live long, long rides. <laughs> Yeah. Well, great. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. Is there anything you'd like to add at this point? Um, not that I know of. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and if there's anything missing, feel free to call me and maybe we'll get out on the bike sometime and go for a ride. Sounds awesome. Thanks for listening. Tune back into Outdoors to hear more from the groups that make mountain biking in the Bozeman area thrive. Go to thelastbestbike.com for more information on the book coming out this summer and where to pre-order. Until next time, happy trails!